Today's episode of Art of the Cut is sponsored by ncrawl.com. ncrawl is the web-based platform for managing and rendering end credits, used by over 1,000 film productions, including 42 films at this year's Sundance 2020 Film Festival. Sign up today at ncrawl.com slash AOTC. Hello, and welcome to Art of the Cuts, Voices from Sundance. My name is Steve Hallfish. I'm a film editor, and I interview my colleagues in film and TV. Today's Voice from Sundance is with Matthew Weiss. Weiss's credits as editor include the 2013 film Detonator and TV series Pilot Season and Teacher's Lounge. Our discussion today is about the Sundance drama Black Bear, starring Aubrey Plaza. To start with, tell me a little bit about the movie itself. Give me a little synopsis. Okay, Black Bear is a drama, comedy, metafictional tale of a woman who goes to a remote cabin in the woods and ostensibly goes there to get a creative spark and to write her next project and winds up insinuating herself into the lives of the couple who are hosting her. And it takes a quite surprising turn, which to say more would be telling. Uh, I don't want to give away too many of the pleasures of the sort of genre bending and uh, rug pulling out that the film uh, does to the viewer. Um, But it winds up touching on themes of creative sort of sacrifice the things you do to be creative the ways in which you have to put your personal life on the line sometimes and sometimes the ways in which you may choose to let's say create drama in the personal sense to create drama in the artistic sense Um, and it's just really kind of a great um, mix of tones and feelings and I'm really proud of the way we were able to thread that needle between laughs and some pretty stark drama. Talk to me a little bit about that tightrope walk of tone and how you had those discussions with your director or what kind of feedback you were getting from your director about tone. Well, obviously, it starts with the script, which Lawrence Levine uh, wrote as well. He's the director and the writer. And uh, Larry and I actually go back many years. We... um, learned under a filmmaker and writer and actor named Tom Noonan. And uh, I feel like that set the tone for us knowing what the kind of things each of us are interested in, both tonally, aesthetically, personally, our sense of humor, uh, and our sense of like the value of, of what these films are, are here to do. So we have all that background before we even sat down, before I even read the script. And then I read the script, and it's just such a, a fully realized vision and such an ambitious kind of, um, I don't want to use the word mashup, but let's just say such an ambitious kind of synthesis of drama, pathos, humor, sadness, and all of these things that it's, it's what essentially drew me to it, aside from just wanting to work with Larry, uh, having done trailers and other things with him, but... The script really nailed that kind of tightrope walk. And I knew it would be like a matter of getting the performances. And Larry is nothing if not an actor's director. So he was very um, focused on making sure that the truth of the story was being told through the performances as well. And uh, with that kind of raw material, it really was just for up to us to just like 
not ruin it, <laughs> to not step on it and to kind of give it the pace and the timing and the all that other kind of aesthetic kind of uh, structure to, to let that story get told. What um, discussions were there about where you needed to be at certain times or how how far you go into one tone or the other before you switch tones? I'm careful not to be too slavish to the script, but uh, there are some very clear guideposts given the kind of structure of the script. And actually, you know, our final cut didn't include every scene in the script. Uh, Obviously, that happens all the time. Um, So that gave us some leeway to play with things that were just like, you know what, maybe not this left turn. Let's just stay on the road here, and then we'll get to the left turn two blocks down. Um, But how did we do it? You know, it's how do you do it? It's it's a gut thing. It's a feel thing. You you try things. You see if it's working. And I I do take the approach, the sort of Walter Murch approach of just like you throw out the script. You look at the pile of footage you have. You say, what can I make out of this? You treat it like a documentary, and you build things that you find interesting. You start with the smaller moments, like oh, this and this together make that, and then that and that make the other thing, and you sort of follow the breadcrumbs until you can step back and you say, okay, we're laughing here. Then we're suddenly really like upset. And I think that works. I think that's surprising. I think it's revealing, you know, cause we're not just whiplashing the audience for its own sake. We're trying to show that you have moments of sadness or moments of anger or moments of jealousy or moments of tenderness all wrapped up in the same either relationship or moment. So um, I feel like, you know, it's like your own inner sense. It's your own kind of uh, inner compass of, of how life is, not to get too pretentious, but that is ultimately what I feel like we've had to rely on. And as you were watching like the first assembly or various assemblies as you were going, did you, um, what were some of the discussions you were having about those same things, those kind of transition elements? Like, oh, we need to put some space in here. I didn't think we did, but these can't go together or... It's really cool that they go together, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, look, I just I'm a big believer in winding it back and watching it with a long lead up. So you you're not watching it too much in isolation. You know, you've got to step away from it long enough to that you. You need the context. Yeah, you need the context, and I we always say like, oh, that that looked good. Let's see if it works in context. Let's see if it works if we wind it back five minutes, and then when we get there, does it feel like a you know just like a weird turd in the punch bowl basically but for the most part these things all all really work there wasn't anything that um well not to toot our own horn but i feel like this this film had a high degree of difficulty that was being asked of it to pull off and uh again i'm very proud of to the extent to which we we pulled it off um i mean you'll be the judge um but um when you see the movie uh, everybody can see if they think it's too much of a, a a whiplash but you know also larry and i also really talked a lot about other filmmakers. We we have a lot of that kind of um, shared kind of taste in common. So we looked at guys like Cassavetes and Maurice Pialat and also a Korean filmmaker Hong Sang-soo for the kind of structural things. So we sort of had faith in our, in our deities that <laughs> what we were doing was going to be possible. And uh, it wound up, I think, working. I don't know that Korean filmmaker. What was the idea of the structure that you felt like you were going to take from him this toes very close to this one of the big kind of reveals but let's just say that there's sort of like two parts to the movie and one part sort of is like a funhouse mirror echo kind of warped version of the first part and hong sang Soo does a lot of movies that are like like his his are very committed to the 
like dual structure of like you see a story, then you see the story almost start over, except instead of going left, he goes right. And you, you know, so he's got that kind of um, proclivity. And uh, we, we, Larry's script sort of adapts some of that uh, kind of approach. Talk to me a little bit about performance. Um, when you're, when you get a bunch of dailies in and you're sitting there looking at a bin, you know, what is, what's jumping out at you and how are you prepping that for the editing process? On this film, I was my own assistant editor. So I wound up watching every stitch of every piece of footage as fast as I could. But my first pass is usually um, making notes, marker tool, using that to kind of just say like, this, you know, my first virgin vision of this, that struck me. Again, like in isolation, just from the footage, this performance is amazing, or this didn't quite work, or this is useful maybe with this other moment. So, um, you know, just watching it, and, and Larry's and my shared background was, like I said, this guy Tom Noonan, and his sort of theory, and I think it's one that Larry subscribes to, uh, is that f film sets scripts they're there to serve the actor they're very actor centric kind of uh he he has he puts the actor sort of at the center of his uh cosmology so if the actor's performance is honest authentic doing something uh then you're going to have the tools to build with all your other cinematic kind of tools so i just basically look for do i buy this performance and thankfully we had three amazing main actors that like we're always good. So it was sort of an embarrassment of riches. And then it's just a matter of, you know, if I loved it, it was a green. If it was pretty good, it was a yellow. And if it wasn't good, it was a red. And pulling out all the greens and just trying to build something out of those. We'll be back in a moment with more of my interview with Black Bear editor, Matthew Weiss. I'm really excited to have Ncrawl as a sponsor. If you've ever been through the end credits process in Final Post, you already know why someone had to create this product. What's interesting, though, is how they went about it. Their cloud render engine turns around preview renders in minutes and 2K and 4K renders in about half an hour. The Ncrawl render engine is on demand 24-7, so even if you're in a late night editing session, you can sign into your project, fix that typo, and add that late breaking special thanks, and with one click, get your new render fast. And here's the best part. Renders are unlimited. Ncrawl has a freemium tier and they offer free personal demo projects to all working industry professionals. Right now there's actually a wait list, but if you sign up now with our special link, you can jump to the front of the line. That's ncrawl.com slash AOTC. Again, that's ncrawl.com slash AOTC. And now back to my interview with Black Bear editor Matthew Weiss. Was your relationship with the director one that uh, grew because you felt like you had this shared sense? Because otherwise, if he's so into performance, you really have to hope that your your taste and performance is similar. And we knew it was. I mean, that's one of the great things about our relationship is that for like, you know, generously saying like 90% of every decision uh, we were simpatico on. And that's not, that doesn't always happen. And, uh, you know, I mean, there was a significant 10%, but still, you know, and his was the final say, obviously, in all those kinds of debates. And also we had the input of our producers and, and a few other key people. Um, Larry's wife, Sophia, who's a writer and director in her own right, and uh, uh, just all the people who watched the movie. But, um, 
yeah, I think we we generally and and also for me, I really trust Larry's sense of what's an honest performance. You know, I really he's also an actor himself, um, a very good one, and uh, it's easy for me to defer to him on that too because I trust his taste and his instincts as to what is honest and what is what we might call schmacting, a little too much crafty acting as opposed to something revealing. Schmacting. Huh? Schmacting. Yeah. <laughs> I might have to steal that term too. Yeah, we. I didn't invent it. It was it came out of those Noonan workshops. I don't know who made it up, but it, that's sort of the thing. Like when it's just a little, and if you're a good schmactor, you can get away with it. You know, TV is schmacting and so on. But that was we were trying for something a little bit more raw. Uh, yeah, the the quote that I loved yesterday that that I'm stealing is if production is the trauma, editing is the therapy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Courtney yeah. Ware, thank you for that one. I will be saying that one many times. Yeah. I, it applies to Black Bear, definitely. The reason why that quote came up was because that first cut, and actually most early editing at least, is traumatic for the director, I think, for many directors. And you're there to kind of be the support, be the trusted cohort. Um, right. Uh, talk to me about that relationship. I tend to think that I am a trusted cohort. I mean, you'll have to ask Larry, but I think I'm safe to say, uh, and he's expressed as much to me. And actually, this is something that I've kept getting told, and it's sort of like since I'm not any other editor and I don't deal necessarily with other editors, it's sort of interesting to hear that a lot of people thought that my first rough cut was not really a rough cut. It was like it played like a movie. And maybe I was a little too precious or a little too sort of... uh, um, meticulous about how I wanted it to go on that first cut but I think it helped like you say make Larry feel comfortable that his movie was in good hands that yes we were going to change it from a almost three hour cut down to what we have in an, an hour and 40 but um wow. you know it, it I think it worked that we had like more fully realized scenes put together at that time to build like you said that foundation of trust and you know, he's known me for years. I think he believes in me, and he believed in me enough to hire me to do this. And um, I, I hope I acquitted myself well. Again, I don't want to speak for Larry, but um, I think that's the word on the street. There's been, in many interviews, there's been debate about whether the editor should deliver exactly on script. In other words, not cutting out any lines, right, not right. cutting out any that's scenes, or... That's what you yeah, did. Yeah. So talk to me about that and why you did it that way. Well, honestly, it's because I think like the director needs to see everything he shot. You know, he needs to have the option of like, oh yeah, that's garbage. Oh yeah, oh that's that's the key. We need to build around that. Or you know, the you know, not that anything was garbage per se, but it, it was just you have to be able to make that determination. And it was like, I'm displaying this. Like I don't I don't feel comfortable making that final decision. I don't think that's my place. So I I did that with that in mind, knowing maybe along the way this is probably gonna go. But you have to show him what you think is the best foot forward of this scene and every scene. And maybe it was at two hours and forty five minutes, but it's it resulted in um our ability to sort of assess the movie as a whole and be able to make sort of like the intra-scene cuts, like, okay, she doesn't have to walk all the way across the room uh, or the sort of scene cuts, like we don't need this subplot. Yeah, that was one of my big errors on my first feature film was just saying, oh, these two lines are going to go. This is, let's start the scene a minute later. And then showing that to the director and having them freak out and not realize they need to see this so they can say later on, 
yeah, those two lines should go because otherwise they'll never know. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's the trust. You know, like I used to joke to Larry. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I, I'm just going to do whatever I want and then you'll never know. And they'll laugh. <laughs> I mean, we have a great sense of humor together. So I think, but <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> I'll call him up. We'll yeah. have a talk. Yeah. Uh, tell me about music and temp. I'll start at the end and say that um, Brian and Julio, the composers who did our final music, blew me and Larry away with what they were able to come up with. And they gave ideas, you know, like there was a certain sort of um, like we, we showed them sort of the slots and like the areas that we wanted music in um, and the sort of general sense that we had. And we tried various different things and we were just like, nope, it's sort of trial and error. Um, and, um, you know, I had sort of, this was an area where I sort of had one kind of aesthetic in mind. And at the beginning, Larry thought it needed to be something different. And, you know, oddly enough, I came around to his way of thinking. And uh, it just was a fun process of like, because Larry and I also have great musical tastes in common. Uh, Larry is like a super deep, musically knowledgeable person. So it was fun to just sort of do a deep dive and do all that stuff with him. And just sort of do a lot of trial and error. Like, what does this do to the scene? And sometimes you find happy surprises. Before you cut temp into the scene, um, when you were just maybe in pre-post-production or pre-production, were you thinking, uh, this might be a good soundtrack? What were some of those soundtracks that you thought, this is right for this movie? Like, I just had an idea, and it seemed to work. It was maybe a little too happy for what he wanted the tone to eventually be, but I used this band called Godspeed, You Black Emperor. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They do like these long orchestral, they're almost like sound movie soundtracks to no movie, but with like a, like 10 guitars on stage. It's like a sort of indie rock sound, but in a kind of orchestral with strings and things. Going in my iTunes today. Okay, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, Lift Your Skinny Fist to Heaven Like Antennas is I think their <laughs> best uh, album to start with. Some of the people that we were looking at for kind of inspirations for this movie don't use a lot of traditional score. So we even considered it at some point not having any uh, non-diegetic music. So our first cut was maybe with sort of that attempt in, in mind. And uh, then we said like, no, that could be nice. Just something here. Uh, we're also, Larry and I are, I think, very allergic to like Mickey Mousing and like very sort of emotional string, uh, heart string pulling kind of uh, music that's really manipulating the audience having so, the music lead the emotion instead of the way around exactly so we we were trying to you know sort of straddle the line between like underscoring the emotion adding to the scene sort of um feeling but not being over determinative hong sang su maurice pilat i mean cassavetes like they have like some music in in there but it's not the traditional score uh, mostly you know it's it's more either diegetic or sort of blasts of, of music here and there um and we actually wound up using more music than i thought we were going to but that's a testament to how good our composers were uh, i know that you um maybe didn't start out on avid but you originally cut avid but this project is premiere tell me why that decision was made well i'll just start by saying i learned on avid in film school but when i got out of film school i was in no position to purchase an avid so i went to final cut pro like many of us did when it came out basically not to date myself but there you are and used that for many years. And then Final Cut Pro lost me in the big 2007 Final Cut Pro X debacle. And uh, there was Adobe Premiere waiting with open arms. And uh, I ran lovingly into them and never looked back. It's just a very powerful piece of software and does everything that I wanted it to do. And it was able to map my, at that point, burned into my brain keyboard shortcuts. So that helped a lot. 
and um, it's just been growing ever since. And you know, they get my whatever fifty six bucks every month happily. Because you've been on Premiere as long as you have, and I've been on Premiere that long or a little longer as well. Talk to me about some of the improvements, or because. I, I tell you, when you switched over to Premiere, I still didn't think it was ready to cut a feature. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you were cutting at the time, trailers or spots or short f- short form? Mostly that, yeah. I was doing corporate video. I was doing comedy web series. I was doing uh, commercials. I was doing that kind of just like web stuff. That's really what was making my living with me at the time. Yeah, and then when you started doing features, did you feel like you were bumping and now you aren't? Is there Have there been improvements? What are some of the things that you um, I've done. I've done two features on it and... Uh, you know, I've I've never run into anything on my end. Well, the first feature I did was uh, in 2012, and that was the time when the the post house ha- had more issues with it. And and now they all say to me, "This is great. We thought it was going to be a problem, and it all worked out fine." All the oh, uh, AAFs and and XMLs, they still take the XMLs and the EDLs. They all translated almost completely flawlessly. Did you have any other um, apps that you used from the Adobe universe? Not on this movie. I did a few temp VFX. We had like two or three VFX shots that we gave to our genius VFX uh, editor. I didn't necessarily use any. I use Adobe After Effects for some of my other commercial work in the sort of like most ground level manner, lower thirds and transitions and things like that and very sort of basic animation. Um, But no, for this, we were basically all inside Premiere just doing the editing. You know, we had a sound designer working in Pro Tools and everything else outside. Great. Our time is up. Thank you so much for your conversation today. It was Thanks very for having time. me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Art of the Cuts Voices from Sundance podcast. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book Art of the Cut Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven, curated experience. Thanks again to my guest, Matthew Weiss. I'm Steve Hallfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, give us a review on your favorite podcasting platform so others can find us. Then follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hallfish. And make sure to tell a filmmaking or film-loving friend.